This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. The world in which the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, operates today is one of growing complexity, new challenges, and increased risks. The revolutionary advances in science, medicine, and technology provide enormous opportunities, as well as challenges that go to the core of FDA's mission. As a regulatory agency that makes its decisions based on the best available science while maintaining its far-reaching mission to protect and promote public health, FDA must have a solid information technology infrastructure so it can uniquely position itself to anticipate and successfully meet challenges. What is FDA's IT strategy? How is FDA changing the way it does IT? And what is FDA doing to leverage the advances of mobile technologies? We will explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Todd Simpson, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Also joining us from IBM is Tim Stitely. Todd, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Michael. So, Todd, would you give us a brief overview of the history and evolving mission of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration? Sure. Well, the the FDA has been around for, I think, 106 years now. And uh, its mission is very straightforward. It's to protect the public and to ensure the safety of devices that emit radiation, food, veterinary medicine, uh, and to regulate the the marketing and the campaigning of tobacco products and anything pretty much that the American public ingests or put on their body. So chief information officer means different things to different organizations. Uh, in, in your role as chief information officer, what are your responsibilities and duties um, as well as your organization, the Office of Information Management and Technology? How does the efforts of, of the office actually support the mission of the FDA? So I, I see my job as uh, that of enabling the mission of the FDA. So that is at the beginning and the end, I'm there to enable the business. I think my job, you know, I think I came in expecting to be a technologist, but I find myself being much more of a diplomat and a problem solver and a collaborator. And, um, you know, the the organization, as I said, is is highly federated. And it's important that that we in IT enable that mission and we don't step on the toes of you know the business, so we have to give them a certain level of autonomy and and freedom to maneuver. So instead of centralizing, instead of coming in and and trying to bring everything under one umbrella, we're trying a different approach. We're implementing FATARA, and we're we're using that to centralize governance, 
to, to set the standards, to set the guidelines, to set the policies. And what we're finding is that the centers are um, very willing to work together and to come together and to, um, on that common ground. And, um, and I think on that common ground is where we're going to be most successful in, in reducing duplication and, um, and solving some of our interoperability issues that lie ahead. You yeah, said so that's a nice uh, dovetails into my next question, which is, you know, if you had a sense of giving your top three management challenges, what are they and how have you sought to address them? So that's, that's a great question. I would say interoperability is a major problem at the FDA and system duplication is another major problem at the FDA. And, you know, it's a, it's it's not a technical problem, but I think the culture is – I'm not going to classify it as a problem per se, but it's something that's a challenge. Sure. And um, overcoming that culture – and working across all the various groups and all the various personalities, the regulators to the scientists and bringing everyone together and, and making sure everyone understands all the nuances of the business because a scientist wants to solve solve a problem, wants to cure cancer, do whatever that scientist is doing, and, and they don't want to wait for a technology problem. They don't have patience for a technology problem, and that's where we, we have to be vigilant. We have to come in and enable that business and make sure that everyone has the right tools to, to do their job. So as you've transitioned into your role or at, you know, in your current role, what has surprised you the most? And then there's, I'll put a second point to that as well. What, what, what similarities is there in the role that you're doing today from where you've come from? So I, I think what's surprised me the most is how well the team has kind of come together to execute. So, uh, and I'll talk about this later. I'm sure there will be questions. Um, but but we released a strategic plan a, a year and a half ago, and I've been able to execute about 40% on that. And I've never seen um, this, this kind of support, this kind of groundswell of enthusiasm in the federal workforce. So um, comparing it to other places that I worked, I've worked with some really good people and some really good agencies. Um, but the FDA uh, is unique in its in its people assets, I would say. You know, so what about you? Uh, could you t- give us a little bit about your career path? How did you get to where you are today? So uh, I, I spent um, a stint in the military, in the Air Force. I was there for six years, and then I, uh, I went to college uh, at The Ohio State University and held various positions um, while I was there. And I would say that the official start of my career um, really began from my perspective, when I went to a telephone company in the mid-90s, I was a, a competitive local exchange carrier. And back in those days, you had to, you had to really be, um, you know, just kind of a dynamo to, um, to, to be successful um, in, in that environment. Because one day you could be provisioning laptops and the next day you could be, um, you know, configuring a router or setting up a CSU or, a, um, you know, some T1 link to, a, to another um, another office. So uh, I, I had a, a heavy engineering background. I was very comfortable as an engineer, but uh, like most engineers, uh, you get pulled into to management eventually, and I was eventually promoted up through that company. And I moved to Pennsylvania, and I worked with that company for, I think, 10 years through private um, sector. Our they went private. They went public. They went bankrupt. They were they were bought. They were sold, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just um, it, the one the one consistent thing was that I survived 
uh, all of that. And uh, and I eventually left on my own to to take a CIO position with the county that I that I worked in, and it was just a phenomenal opportunity. I got to work with um, with some incredible people, and it was just a, a huge job. And I, I, I really started to find my um, my calling as a change agent, and um, and that's where I labeled myself that first and foremost as a CIO. But then I went to the criminal division a couple years after um, after um, taking that CIO job at the county the criminal division, part of the, the justice department, and I worked there for three and a half years. And, um, and cur- clearly, I was on a, a career path. So I went in as a fifteen. I did some really great things. I think at at the criminal division, and um, promoted into an SES role with the Department of Transportation. And then I waited until I could um, get a CIO position again. So that was the ultimate goal. Uh, when I, you know, moving around in the federal government, sometimes you have to uh, take a promotion, and um, and it's almost a demotion at the same time. So I gave up a CIO position to become a deputy CIO, but I gained the FCS, and so the great way to do it. See, it's funny, but you think about the Air Force, your time in private sector, your time uh, through your federal uh, experience. You know, what makes an effective leader in your mind? And perhaps you could tell us who's influenced your leadership style. So um, I, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question because I'm kind of a bull in a china shop. <laughs> when I came into the federal government, I remember um, getting a lot of really weird looks because, you know, I, I I had kind of an intolerance for some of the some of the things that I saw, and and I I didn't understand why things had to take as long as they did, and why um, you know just the, some of the nuances of the federal government, and and I think that um, that I've maintained that private sector uh, look and feel, and in fact, it's not that I long to go back to the private sector, but I do in, invite more of a private sector. Uh, look and feel to to the job that I'm in right now, and and I I believe in driving accountability, holding people accountable for the job that you're giving that you're giving them, having very clearly defined roles and responsibilities, and just making sure that you're communicating your expectations. And I think that if you follow um, that those rules, and if you look at everything through a business lens, and you try not to personalize things or bring your ego into it. I think you'll you'll have a successful go of things no matter what you're doing. So um, for me, that's been the secret. And you said earlier it's like diplomacy, but you really need that that sense of leadership when you're operating, especially a CIO, um, in a federated model. I mean, you, the collaboration aspect is really important. So I think um, you know if you're looking for personal personnel traits, um, I, I mean, I couldn't. Um, you know, other people, Jack Welsh and others have have done this far a far better job than I could do. But I think integrity and honesty and just being transparent, mm-hmm. and it's not just talk. My strategic plan incorporates a balanced scorecard approach, and and um, everything that I did with the formulation of that strategic plan, and um, the dissemination, the execution, everything is transparent. I, I produce a balanced scorecard report on a quarterly basis. My customers can see every single line of service, how much we're billing them. They may not be happy with their bill, sure. um, but they're um, at least privy to how we're coming up with the numbers. And um, we're, we're doing things every day to try to refine our cost model, to bring more transparency to that cost model so our customers know the value that they're getting and can make better decisions you know, to cut costs and you know, things like that. So, What is FDA's IT strategy? We will ask its chief information officer, Todd Simpson, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. 
latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Todd Simpson, Chief Information Officer at USDA. Also joining us from IBM is Tim Stitely. So, you know, you mentioned in the previous segment um, the strategic plan that you developed uh, over a year ago, I believe. Could you lay out your high-level objectives and how you have sought to change the way uh, FDA does IT? Yes, absolutely. And, and thank you for this question because we actually just released the second iteration of our strategic plan. It's posted on the, uh, the internet um, site for public consumption. But in 2015, May of 2015, when I arrived, I was asked to do an assessment which would ultimately lead to the creation of a strategic path. And I did that and um, I worked with my senior leadership team to produce I think a really good document that we released in October of 2015, it was our um, three-year strategic plan. Again, it employed a bound scorecard methodology. And that's important because what we didn't want is just a document that had a lot of thump value that made a, a lot of noise when it hit the desk. My strategic plan is, well, the first iteration was like maybe 25 pages long. And it, uh, the criticisms that, that we received really came from the untrained eye. So people would say, well, I don't see the plan here. But the plan was basically the balanced scorecard. And it, it basically listed out our strategic objectives and it aligned our strategic objectives to our projects and to our KPIs. So we knew we were working on the right things and we knew we were me- measuring the right things. And we um, then spent a lot of time in the strategic plan breaking out the tactical So knowing that execution is a big problem in the federal government, having fought with execution several times over, you can come up with the best laid plans, but then trying to get those plans through, you know, procurement and, and, you know, and and then so you move forward with that and you've got the contracting piece and then you've got all the other stuff that gets in the way that, that kill projects in the federal government. One of the things that we didn't want to do was we didn't want to put the, um, the tactical at risk. So we laid out all the, all those tactical elements of the strategic plan and we framed them as milestones and we grouped them under people, processes and technology and that way everything could roll up nicely to FDA's strategic plan which grouped things under people, processes and technology and up to HHS's strategic plan. Anyway, we released that plan and we executed 42% on that plan year to date. Um, so uh, in the last 22 months, 40%-ish execution, we have another 60% to go. The plan is broken down really um, seamlessly into um, into those milestones. But I, I went a little bit further and in Appendix A, Everything that we've done is listed there, and in Appendix B, everything that lays ahead or lies ahead is listed there. So it's a really easy read. So, Todd, uh, would you tell us more about your efforts to develop an effective uh, FDA-wide IT governance structure? So that's a great question. And one of the first things that I did when I came to the FDA was I created an Office of Enterprise Portfolio Management. So we now have a comprehensive portfolio of projects, and we have a weekly reoccurring 
PMO meeting, project management office meeting, where all of the centers that have projects come and speak to those projects. And uh, everything is broken down so that we're watching um, the schedule, we're watching the costs, and um, we're watching the scope to make sure that, um, that everything stays on track. And that is how we're actually moving the ball down the field. All of our work is either represented in some kind of a trouble ticket or in that project work. And the project work is now moving very quickly because when something starts to go a little bit off, we catch it right away, we escalate right away, and we get it right back on track. And most importantly, we're using the PMO process to align our investments. So of the $724 million that's spent in IT, I'm spending about $322 million of that. The rest of that is being spent independently by the centers. So I have a job per FATARA to report back to the CIO of HHS what that spend is. So what I do is I use that governance process, that e, um, that PMO process, to track all of those investments, to track all that work. And we use the capital planning process as well and, um, in, and to do basically comprehensive end-to-end investment alignment of all of our um, projects. So on the capital investment um, process, uh, I know it's always um, always a best practice to align your investments with the mission because the mission is where you, you get the most support, as you said, enabling yes. the mission through your center. So, you know, what are you doing to make sure, and it sounds like the PMO is one of them, but if you can substantiate on that a little bit, um, doing to make sure that those investments stay aligned with the mission? It's a great question. So so I have a, a couple different ways to answer this. We have a, we've created a CIO council, so I bring all of my center um, IT leadership together on a monthly basis, We've um, and, and we talk about it. That's one of the most important things. Um, but also, I, I mentioned the scorecard report. Um, so everything is transparent in there. And, and believe me, when we start going a little bit off the road, everybody sees it and clamors onto it. We've also created subgroups as part of that CIO council for all of the functional areas of the IT business, um, from the end user computing piece to a data center and infrastructure piece. So we bring the tactical folks in to talk about the things that we're doing before it even rises to the attention of the leadership. So uh, thinking at it from a different perspective, from a contract perspective, um, as you move forward and and as you uh, um, execute your strategic plan, as it comes to procurements and contracts, are there things you're doing to centralize that process for all of IT contracts? And, you know, are you developing um, a comprehensive uh, centralized com- contract management approach? We absolutely are. In fact, I just had uh, a monthly meeting where I'm tracking our spend year to date. And it's it's in, feder- in the federal government, as you both probably know, it's very, very important to track that spend because – you have to go through a procurement process, um, the due diligence to protect the, the public interest of that spend. And um, that process can be a little bit slow to ensure that there's fair competition and, and everything else. And I think the, uh, the FDA does a, a, a relatively good job with its procurement process. We have a really strong CFO. I think that um, you know the, the biggest thing that we've done in IT 
to ensure that we're, we're tight on the contracting end. You know, I talked about people processes and technology. So we have just a laundry list of the processes that we're tightening up. And it's not just the version control, the release management, the change management, but it's also in, in these areas of the business and, and you know, um, skill set libraries and contract libraries and, and basically central repository that we can look and see all of our contracts and a dashboard where we can see the health of our contracts. And we're putting um, measures in place to hold our contractors to higher performance. And with the looming budget cuts that are coming, we're already starting to have conversations um, with those contractors to look we don't know what the future is going to be, but um, if if um, Donald Trump can negotiate um, um, on the price of an airplane, then <laughs> then we have to um, we have to open up our minds and, and step outside the box and start looking for more creative ways to do more with less, because we're going to be expected to do a lot more with less. And personally, I I think we're up for the challenge because of the work that we've done. One of the strategic themes of my of my plan was was efficiency or is efficiency, and um, and we are looking for coins under every sofa cushion right now. So, The other area, Tim mentioned, just mentioned uh, IT contracts and managing those. I, I want to talk about infrastructure stabilization. What are you doing to identify the parts of the infrastructure uh, that are unstable and create a plan to address them? And what is being done to adopt a capacity on demand model? So uh, after shortly after arriving at the FDA, uh, the chief health, health informatics officer used to have uh, jurisdiction over the enterprise architecture. That was transitioned to my shop um, within a month of me arriving there. And I hired a chief technology officer, Farhan Khan, who has uh, come in and I've moved infrastructure it's kind of a weird mix, but trust me, I know what I'm doing here. And, and it's it kind of um, the personalities have aligned too. Uh, I've moved infrastructure under Farhan, and Farhan is part of his, his duties. Um, he is, among other things, he's building a, a technology roadmap. One of the elements of the technology roadmap is a stabilization plan, an infrastructure stabilization plan. And he's been executing on that plan. It's kind of um, been informally written since we arrived because you can kind of come in and take a look around and see, well, this mail environment probably isn't the right mail environment that we need, but then you have things like email as a service on the horizon. So you have to plan all that stuff out and you have the the department out there kind of driving some of that. And, and in the spirit of working with the department, you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to take some risks to back into some of those solutions. The, long, the short answer is I hired a really good chief technology officer and I'm building roadmaps. My strategic plan is all based on roadmaps. And second iteration is a thicker document because we've went in and instead of just saying we need to fix the library, now we've conducted an assessment and we can tell you down to the nuance level what we need to actually do to bring the library up to 21st century standards, for example. Every federal agency, there's a new, you, you're managing legacy systems and applications that are deeply rooted uh, in the agency's computer environment. Uh, what are your efforts to migrate to the cloud? Okay, so that's a great question. And we have spent a lot of time penetrating the cloud over the last 22 months. Upon my arrival, we did not have an authorized cloud environment, and there was no prospect of one. But through some uh, creative negotiating and um, and assuming a little bit of acceptable risk here and there and, and putting plans of action and milestones in place to correct and, and deal with that risk, we've successfully now joined forces with six different 
cloud service providers. We're offering infrastructure, platform, and software as a service through a cloud brokerage model. And um, we spent the last 23 months basically positioning that cloud infrastructure because we know that it's just the foundation of what's ahead for us. We can't build the DR infrastructure that we want without leveraging the cloud. We can't um, guarantee that we can um, exploit the elasticity of the cloud if we're not in the cloud. So the next Listeria outbreak and the next time we have to do genomic sequencing, you know, do I want to have millions of dollars worth of assets sitting with dust on them waiting to be spun up, or do I want to exploit that elasticity model? So we now have that, and we have, you know, major platforms. OpenFDA is one of them, but we have over 20 different applications now in the cloud. And I would say that we are at the at the leading edge of the cloud. Now, where does that position the FDA? I think what it does is it not only does it position us to do some really creative things with, like, our high-performance computing environments – we have three disparate high-performance computing environments, and they're all um, you know, approaching end of life. And when they were built, they were built to solve problems, and there wasn't a reinvestment strategy baked into that. The whole notion of the reinvestment strategy is relatively a new thing from the Fatara standpoint, and you know, we're really starting to get good at it along with the chargeback models and that kind of stuff. But when we look at rebuilding that high-performance computing environment, do we want to invest millions of dollars into on-premise high-performance computing, or do we want to take what we have and leverage it against the cloud and maybe build a new platform and, you know, um, strategically um, build it, you know, leveraging that cloud infrastructure? And I want to just kind of segue a little bit. While we've been building that cloud infrastructure, as part of the strategic plan, we've been out very, very busy um, automating processes and preparing for what I'm calling a digital transformation at the FDA. So I'll give you an example. We've automated our field inspection processes. And over the last year, we've completed 18,000 field inspections through automated means. So the field inspectors that used to have to write their reports on paper and take GPS coordinates and take pictures of the rotting cabbage, they don't do that anymore. It's all in real time. And the reports are produced at the submit end of the button. So we have that. We have automation through our um, customs border protection system now. So I think the at last count we had 36 million lines of lading through our new automated system where everything that's coming in that's getting, you know, plucked out of those crates by the customs and border people and saying, the FDA needs to look at this. Um, that's all automated now. So these are huge advancements in the way that we're doing business. And we're also digitizing where we once had literally rooms filled with inspection reports. It's all automated now. So we can. it's not all automated, but there has been a major effort put forth to start automating. I don't want to get too far ahead with um, what is reality and what we still have to do. <laughs> but, but yeah, this digital transformation is upon us. And so just to kind of bring closure to this question, we have, uh, we have nine different centers, and each of the centers are embarking upon their own digital transformation. And, um, and I think my job is to make sure that we find that common gray area of overlap. Because if not, you know, you've got, um, you've got one center that may say, hey, we're reinventing ourselves. We're looking at our business processes. 
But lo and behold, they're being fed from um, the Office of Regulatory Affairs Compliance Management System. And, you know, and I, I equate that to building a sports car that you're going to drive on a dirt road. Mm-hmm. We have to think holistically about this digital transformation. And I think leadership gets that. Center leadership gets it. And so it's not that it's it's something that isn't going to happen, but it is going to be a challenge. And, and, and that's really where we all need to come together at the FDA to, uh, to make that happen. How is FDA changing the way it does IT? We will ask its chief information officer, Todd Simpson, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What is strategic intelligence? What does it mean to be a strategic, operational, or networking leader? How do you employ smart motivation? What is the relationship between personality and leadership? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Dr. Michael McAbee, author of Strategic Intelligence, Conceptual Tools for Leading Change. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Todd Simpson. Chief Information Officer at USDA. Also joining us from IBM is Tim Stitely. You know, Todd, you mentioned in the last segment your uh, digital transformation you're pursuing, and, and part of that's probably uh, your um, mobile strategy, your mobility strategy. I'd like you to talk a little about how you're leveraging uh, mobile solutions, and are you expanding an enterprise mobile uh, services? Yes, absolutely. So one of the very first initiatives uh, that I executed on when I joined the FDA in 2015 was a choose-your-own-device program where we basically stood up a a mobile device management infrastructure and then offered our customers the choice, uh, tablets and cell phones. So they can choose between iPhones and Androids, and and we have tablets and laptops. So um, that's all being um, served to our customers through a catalog of services. And then we're working to refine that catalog of services to make it much more Amazon-like, shopping cart, supervisor approval. It comes out of the budget. The end. The phone gets delivered through through a line of service. And it's all service-oriented. So that's that's kind of where we're going now with respect back to mobility, the the choose-your-own-device or CYOD program um, was one of the staples of our mobility program. The the notion of work isn't somewhere you go, it's something you do, and you can do it from anywhere. So what we've now done, now that we've got these phones out, and I think we have close to 10,000 phones um, deployed to date, um, different flavors uh, ranging between Blackberries, iPhones, and Androids. Um, and, of course, we have a lot of tablets in the field for our inspectors, um, things like that. But we're also um, releasing um, VDI, virtual desktop interface, so on an iron key flash drive. So our um, the our users are going to be able to, from basically any kiosk anywhere in the world, at, at, a, at a hotel, a kiosk, boot into the FDA environment securely. We're very proud of that. That's a huge staple of our mobility program. And we're also um, trying to enhance our support structure with the introduction of IDLE, but also um, expanding 
So we want to make sure we do proper service transition. When we stand up a service now, we make sure that the help desk is informed so that they can do optimal tier one remote support. So that's one of the other, you know, we can't just say, let's have a mobile workforce, but we can't support that mobile workforce. So So switching gears a little bit, um, it's been said by many that as we come into the 21st century, one of the uh, newest assets or richest assets that there will be is data. Um, on that or in that light, um, it, how are you working towards putting a master data management approach in place at the FDA and the governance model that you're looking at to do so? Thank you for that question. It's a great question, and we've been working very, very hard to define that data backbone at the FDA. Earlier, when we talked about the challenges, I said interoperability and system duplication, and I mentioned culture um, as, as a challenge. But usually, I say data. Um, but I think that, you know, um, date, I'll talk about data now. I knew that we were going to have that later on. From a data perspective, we brought in Carnegie Mellon, um, their software engineering institute, to do an assessment of our data. And they looked at our master data management methodology, and they put together basically a gap analysis from where we are now to where they, you know, think we need to be. Now, that think we need to be came with a lot of input from me and um, the scientific community and the IT folks and the customers. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at our data um, in a different way as an asset. And we've set up a data governance advisory board. Um, so, um, And we're hiring a chief data officer. That's um, another, um, another thing that we're doing. Um, and we're trying to, um, to develop data standards so that we can um, so we can basically develop that data backbone. But um, we're also at the same time putting in place those MDM tool sets, you know, and, and um, not just you know the SAP pieces, you know the, the analytic pieces um, and the management pieces, but the security pieces like the data loss prevention. So it's a comprehensive puzzle that we're trying to solve data wise. But I will say we we do believe that um, that we're on the path to do some really good stuff, and um, we've got some really um, good tools. Um, you know, for the predictive modeling and um, against the adverse event data, you know, so I think that we're positioned to um, to be well informed to protect the American public. Well, speaking of protection, I'd like to talk about protecting your systems and infrastructure from cyber threats. So, could you give us a sense of what you're doing to enhance the IT security across the enterprise? Yet, yeah, what what are some of the major challenges you're facing? What's progress to date? Okay, well, um, so the security posture of the FDA, I think, is is improving daily. When when I arrived there, we were in the middle of a GAO audit uh, that was um, um, uh, initiated by the Energy and Commerce Committee. And they released a fairly unfavorable report um, about um, a year after I arrived um, based on that audit. And we uh, engaged with industry experts to put together a remediation plan. And I'm proud to say that we have successfully uh, remediated all 15 of their programmatic uh, findings and 95% of um, the the weaknesses that they identified. And um, and. I, I get a dashboard every single day where I'm watching the, the progress of this remediation. 
And more importantly, I think that we um, we demonstrated to the Energy and Commerce Committee our willingness and our um, eagerness to partner with them um, to really turn things around. So um, I also changed um, the leadership of um, of my um, I hired a new chief information information security officer. He's a phenomenal guy. Um, his name is Craig Taylor, by the way. And uh, we also stood up a systems management center, which ironically, um, it won a, um, a CISO 50 award, which we're receiving in May of, um, of this year. So, yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited about that. But the, the system management center is an integrated um, an integrated center where we brought the engineering arm in. So we have basically no downtime between um, the identification of a problem and the resolution of a problem. We don't go in between anyone, and it's fully integrated with our help desk. More importantly, what we're finding is like the CDM tool set that, that, we, that we're implementing it's not enough for us. So it's phase one of CDM, but we, we had to actually go out on our own and find tool sets that could look at our data that's in the cloud because I think we, we outpaced CDM. Now, I'm saying that a little bit with a little bit of arrogance, but, um, but you know, the, the departments, yeah, I think a lot of um, agencies are, are grappling with this. They have data in the cloud and some of the traditional tool sets that are identified in that CDM um, the tool set. Just don't do it. You know, you mentioned earlier, uh, when we were talking about the cloud specifically, um, I I, I think you mentioned the the, the scientific computing program. But I I want to delve into that. And what I mean by what are you doing to better integrate FDA's scientific computing program into your overall enterprise architecture? That's great. So my director of innovation is also working um, uh, with, we have a scientific computing board where we meet with the scientific community. And it is, um, it is you know, um, the scientists have very special uh, platforms, very special requirements. And, and uh, you know, my, my knee-jerk reaction upon entry at the FDA was just to look at everything and say, these are just requirements. There's no difference between an accounting system and a scientific computing system. But I've learned to, um, to kind of give up on that a little bit and to, to see the value in that specialization. So what I've done is I've dedicated a resource from my senior leadership team to that scientific community. They have a voice. And I'm very, very responsive to their needs. Um, there is a scientific computing network that was um, that was at the eye of the GAO audit and um, and they found some vulnerabilities on it and it gave me a chance I think to um, bridge some relationships with that scientific community and what I found is that they're actually very pliable they're very willing to work with you they're they're concerned about the security issues just like I am they're not just you know throwing caution to the wind to solve some problem they're Thoughtful, responsible, hardworking people, and and I've, I I feel like it's been an honor to work with them and to solve the problems with them in a collaborative way. That's that's how I would describe that that situation. So, looking at as we go deeper into the twenty first century, um, roles and and positions are changing. Jobs today are different than they were before. From a workforce readiness perspective for the future, I'm going to break this into two pieces or, or, or put a statement there and then you can respond to it. But um, from a workforce readiness um, perspective, what do you see the greatest gaps are within the FDA staff? Um, what investments are you making? Um, I heard a study recently that said that um, 
in the future, you know, the, the millennials will have seven jobs in their lifetime, five of which don't exist today. So that's a little bit more futuristic, but in the real time, near time, you know, so kind of looking at it that way, we always have to be retooling our staff. Yes. You know, what type of investments are you doing to, to bring your, your work force ready for the future? Right. So I've um, one of the um, efforts in the strategic plan was a role alignment activity mm-hmm. where we methodically went through every single role and made sure that it was aligned and that we that we what is this person doing and what should they be doing, and then we did you know the the, the traditional secondary tertiary you know who's the backup to this backup to this backup so kind of a little bit of a succession planning and we've collected all that information in in a database so that's one of the things that that we've um, that we've done to, to start with um, from a workforce management standpoint um, and of course we we have training baked into everybody's um, everybody's PMAP but what what I'm seeing is the the job of the engineer the job of the um, you know with the emergence of the cloud we're, we're shifting more from a technical to an administrative I need contract management more than I need engineering almost anymore and I need customer centric marketing type people that, that are really good at communication and um, and and I, I don't need someone to call a database for me I need somebody that can manage the the, the cloud environment where those databases live and you know and and so it's a it's kind of that that I think is the biggest shift that I'm seeing in the skill set that business acumen is becoming so important and I'm going through that same that same shift too I used to walk into a room and say well that's not an IT problem that's a business problem I don't do that anymore I walk in and I just say I'm here to solve problems and you know there's there's an element of IT to every problem but there's an element of HR to every problem and there's an element of procure, procurement to every problem and if you're really going to add value. You've just got to come in with a solutions-oriented approach. And that's really, I think, what I'm looking for. Dynamic, uh, you know, um, don't define yourself in a, in, a, in a job and say, I'm an engineer. I think if you put yourself in a box like that, you're going you're gonna to hurt yourself. But, but we try not to do it as well. And, um, and I think the, the project managers are very, very important, too. I, I can't and I, but you know, as I'm talking through this, I'm thinking the cybersecurity. Um, you know, I can't get away from that. You know, that vigilant position. Um, uh, you know, where you've got that. Yeah, that skill set. Yeah. So you know, to pick pick up on, on Tim's point as a follow up, you know, you, you you won't realize the vision you've laid out in your strategic plan without a clarity of mission that's communicated clearly and without leadership at all levels of your organization specifically. So. You know, what are you doing to build a strong and healthy leadership culture? You mentioned succession planning, but I'd like to talk about recruitment and retention. Okay. So um, so I've built a senior leadership team, and I'm very, very proud of my senior leadership team, very trusted, um, strong group of people. Um, and, and what I've done is um, I've broken their roles down, and I started with functional alignment of the business. So everybody has a swim lane. And I kind of broke free of that mentality where we had a shoulder tap. You know, um, I have a problem. I ha- You have to know Jim or you have to know Bill to get your problem solved. Everything is very process oriented now, and and um, and I think that's the key. It's in the processes. 
So I don't want my customers to, to have to know who to call. I want my customers to be able to call one number and to get a consistent response. And I want my organization almost to be like a glass of water, that if you take the ice cube out, it just flattens out again, um, where we have we have pools of experts that can solve problems instead of experts that are dedicated so that every time you stand up a new system, instead of building a new team to support that system, you can leverage an economy of scale approach and maybe not build your team with every new endeavor that you take on. So I don't know if I answered your question there. but uh, So building on that um – and, and you've talked about this as, as certainly one of the pillars within your strategic plan, and that is customer satisfaction. And I think part of what you just described lends to how you've achieved that. But is there more that you're doing to be responsive to your end users to make sure they're getting the services that, they're, that they need to fulfill the mission? Yes, absolutely. So one of the greatest things that I found when I came into the FDA was that they had a really sophisticated chargeback model in place. So they had done a really good job of defining the lines of service and the cost drivers. And we were billing our customers under this this chargeback model. And we've matured it a lot over the last two years, and and we're going to continue to mature it. Part of that evolution is to develop service-level agreements. So one of the things that I'm giving to my customers is guaranteed response time so that they can they know when to expect it. Right now, we don't have service level agreements. And um, we do a really good job. I mean, we have internal service level agreements, which we do a good job of meeting. But I want to give my customers a service level agreement. I want them to be able to see on a dashboard where the pizza is and if it's in the oven or if it's in the car on the way to their house. And um, And so I think... Again, it's transparency. It's having a really sophisticated but easy-to-understand service catalog with easy-to-understand service-level agreements and um, that my customers understand what the expectations are, what their expectations are and what my expectations are. You know, um, if if we um, ask a customer to put in, um, you know, a form 10 days before their new employee starts and they wait until the day before, well, clearly that's not something I can be accountable for. But when everybody follows the prescribed processes, it should work. And my goal is to provide consistent and repeatable results every single time. Without that consistency, I'm never going to be able to gain the trust of my customers. So um, one of the things that um, that I'm doing is um, uh, we, we created a, a walk-up kiosk, for example, outside of our innovation lab. Um, and it's, it's positioned right outside of our hoteling space. For example, this is just one example. I'm trying to um, make it easier for my customers to get IT support. And um, and we also just rolled out um, uh, a new trouble ticket system, which is idle compliant. Our prior trouble ticketing system was not idle compliant, so we could only do problem management. Now we can do problem management and request management. So it's a big deal now because I'm offering services like choose your own device. These aren't problems. When somebody wants a new phone, it's just a request. And, and so we've now... 
um, built um, a pathway by which we can deliver services more efficiently. We've invested a lot of money into the queues, but more importantly, we're watching everything and we're doing the trend analysis on you know those issues that are really impacting our customers, and we're getting ahead, I think, of those problems. Now, some things that we still have to get better at. You know, we still interrupt business when we um, when we have maintenance um, because the 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 infrastructure is built on a high availability model. And so we're trying with the emergence of the cloud to bring more DR into that high availability model. And we want to bring more failover into our maintenance cycles so that we don't impact our customers. So they don't know when we're doing maintenance anymore. And, you know, when our when those applications that are in the cloud, we don't know when they're we know when they're doing maintenance. Our customers don't know. That's gotta be the same standard. That's got or there or I would say the cloud should put us out of business. That that would be my feeling on it. Um, so either we have to step up and and uh, provide services on the same scale, scope, and level that the that the cloud service providers and and you know the you know the private sector um, vendors are providing, or we're going to get replaced. What are the characteristics of a successful CIO? We will ask Todd Simpson, CIO at FDA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Todd Simpson, Chief Information Officer at USDA. Also joining us from IBM is Tim Stitely. You know, Todd, um, I talk to many of my guests about the use of collaboration and partnerships among agencies and with the private sector to achieve uh, mission results. How are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration to improve operations? Um, great question. So I would say I, I collaborate very heavily with with Beth Cloran, the HHS CIO. She is really, really dedicated, and um, and I think that she is very serious about bringing some positive change. Uh, we have a monthly meeting and um, uh, a monthly meeting with all the CIOs um, uh, that that report up to her. Um, but also, I spend time with her outside um, outside of that meeting. I think that's one very important element. Another very important element is I spend a lot of time collaborating with uh, leadership at NIH and the CDC. Uh, we have a lot of the same types of problems. We have um, foreign travel um, um, programs that are very um, comparable. 
at least in terms of maybe not scope, but in terms of what we're doing, sending people to hostile countries um, that are identified on the State Department hostile country list, things like that. So a lot of our problems are the same, and um, and we have a lot of commonality in, in our mission, too. So um, there's common points in our mission so we can relate. And I, I think just the collaboration with those like-minded agencies is something that's been um, very um, big. And uh, from an external standpoint, internally, um, we're doing everything that we can to beef up our uh, collaboration platforms, our instant message platforms, our um, our smartphones, our um, video teleconferencing, um, you know, those types of technologies. And, and I think that, you know, making sure that we're all connected because the FDA is big and it's international and we have um, – I mean I have – I have 70 people outside of um, headquarters just supporting people in the continental U.S. So I have to connect with those people and, you know, um, those collaboration platforms are, are um, very important for that. As a follow-up to that, um, given the critical role of, of technology, information technology in both enabling the mission and delivering the programs, how has the role of CIO transitioned and evolved into a trusted advisor and what characteristics of us what are the characteristics of a successful CIO I'm still trying to figure that out um, no and um, I, yeah um, I, I, I actually think I am still trying to figure that out I think um, I think that you know just um, again bringing bringing a business lens to the problem I think that's the key I think that's actually the key for everyone if you if you do that it um, being a CIO or a CEO or a CEO, it doesn't matter. You're going to be a valued member of the team that's there to solve the problem, and so um, I mean that's what I try to do. And I try to just use a conscientious approach, and I have a lot of empathy for my customers. So um, uh, I, I bring passion to my role, a lot of passion, and um, and sometimes I think that that passion can actually be construed or interpreted as anger, but it's not. It's just passion. And, and I actually will hurt when my customers hurt. When when I find out that my customers were down for a day or a weekend and we could have sent a note that said, you know, it's our fault or we, we were aware of it, you know, or something. And we didn't, you know, and we're not doing things like that anymore. Um, um, and, and But there was a time, I think, that things like that happened. And, um, and I just I, I bring a lot of empathy because I've been at the other end. I've been the customer before. Everybody's had to deal with um, your your cable provider, yeah. you know. And and I, I'm sure you all have spent a Saturday morning on the phone wondering why you know you're anyway. And and you know so. See, you know, turning to the future, I combine two questions. What are your highest priorities over the next couple of years? And more importantly. What emerging technologies uh, hold the most promise for achieving those priorities? So I think data is one of the biggest ones. Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're going to be immobile if we don't get our arms around the data. Dr. Califf once said publicly that um, the interoperability issues at FDA um, were so great that they, we, we would be toppled by our own weight if we didn't solve those problems. So um, so I think um, data is big. The interoperability and the, um, the duplication, solving the duplication issue, um, which we're well on our way. We're conducting a rationalization exercise as part of the strategic plan where we've identified all the software that's in use across this federated environment. And 
there are some situations where we do have duplicative um, pieces of software in play, and we're going to we're going to go after that kind of stuff and get everybody. Um, you know, basically, we're building a technology roadmap for every single application that we use, and and we're going to have, um, define its life cycle up front. and And it's okay to have two or three of the same types of software if if the nuances are so specific that they they have to be that way to map up to the requirements, but we're going to know what they are. And so having complete mastery of the environment is is really where we're going to solve that duplication issue. The interoperability issue really comes down to the new technologies, you know, the cloud. Um, that's that's really big. Um, you know, there are um, microservices, development microservices that we're looking at changing the way that we do our development, our development methodology, looking at the way that we structure our development shop around that and, um, you know, looking at the types of um, appliances and um, code, um, the, the standards that we employ which all this stuff is in motion, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I mentioned earlier that I had a, a subcommittee under my CIO council that I stood up, and that's their job, to define that pathway through that, you know, where does GitHub fit in to the equation from a development standpoint? So, you know, I think, I think um, you know, um, from an innovation standpoint, we have an innovation lab, and I've separa- separated innovation from my chief technology officer for a reason, mostly because of that stabilization factor. Sure. But also, I didn't want my brilliant CTO spending his time playing with toys. Mm-hmm. Not that he would have, because he's just not like that. But there is a need to do exploration and to work with our customers on that exploratory you know, emerging new technology, and and that's what my innovation lab does. And after we proof proof the concept, then it transitions over to the CTO once we embed it into our roadmap. So I think it's more, it's not the 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 actual technologies as much as the approach that we're trying to follow. Because people will say, I've heard people say, well, we got to go to the cloud. Well. I'm not so sure that everything needs to go to the cloud. So we create a cloud, uh, a, a, a cloud, a governance board for our cloud. It's not a highly bureaucratic body, but it's a group that evaluates every single decision. So somebody will say, "Here's my requirement," and we say, "Oh, wow, this is low data." Or now it doesn't matter as much because the FedRAMP uh, ATOs are changing. But there, there's a reason why we put things in the cloud, and sometimes, it, admittedly, it's more expensive to go to the cloud. So if we're not uh, exploiting something like that elasticity, then maybe we don't want to put it in the cloud. So I think it's in the way that we're making decisions uh, that, that's really changing. and that's, that's great. So one last question, Todd. So, uh, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Uh, I, I would say go for it. Uh, I'm I'm a public servant. I, I love what I do, and uh, and I feel like it's for me. Um, you know, I, I would rather work for the American public than for the bottom line. Um, but that's just my personal preference. And I would say that if you're considering a career in public service, you know, just do everything you can to be the very best. Don't don't say well. Um, if I were doing the private sector path, I may do things differently. I never looked at it that way. I always tried to stay at the cutting edge on my certifications. Uh, when I um, when I felt like um, I needed more education, I went back to school. You know, I pushed myself really hard, and I um, and I just wanted to be um, 
you know, a value add wherever I was. So I would say, um, I don't know, that's, that's how I look at the world. Great answer. Uh, you know, I want to thank you for taking time uh, out of your day. But more importantly, Tim and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you very much. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Todd Simpson, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. My co-host today from IBM has been Tim Stitely. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What is strategic intelligence? What does it mean to be a strategic, operational, or networking leader? How do you employ smart motivation? What is the relationship between personality and leadership? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Dr. Michael McAbee, author of Strategic Intelligence, Conceptual Tools for Leading Change. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.